Do you need a patent for your business? Listen to this interview with Rich Goldstein, one of the premier patent attorneys in the United States to better understand the patent process. Welcome to another episode of the Harvest Growth Podcast, focused on helping consumer product companies, inventors, and entrepreneurs harvest the growth potential of their product businesses. Today, I'm excited to speak with Rich Goldstein of Goldstein Patent Law. He is and his company have secured over more, more than 2,000 patents over the last 25 years. And interestingly enough, he's authored the Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent for the American Bar Association. That's pretty impressive. That's not something you can just self-publish on your own. That, that comes with real clout and credibility when you do something like that. So Rich clearly knows what he's talking about in the patent space. And I'm so excited to have him on the show today to answer a lot of questions that I know my listeners have on in terms of getting patents, how to do it, when to do it, et cetera. So we'll dive in a bunch of those questions. But Rich, first, I want to welcome you to the show and, and thank you for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks so much, John. And uh, and it's, it's interesting, though, you mentioned like being asked to write the, the book for the American Bar Association on patents. Um, and I don't think it necessarily means that I'm the foremost expert on patents as much as they recognize that I have a knack for being able to take this complicated patent stuff and put it into plain English and explain it to people. And uh, that's why they asked me to write the book. And that's what I enjoy doing. And that's why I'm, 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 I'm really looking forward to, to helping your audience to better understand patents and how it works and how it could work for them. That, that's a great skill to have. I think some of the best patent lawyers out there, you speak in a different language in the patent, right? So when you communicate, I can't understand those half the language in a patent. And that's different than communicating to us as it's the- actually, It's buyer. actually based on Klingon, Klingon, the language that we use. <laughs> it sounds like it might as well be. <laughs> so I'll first ask you, what's the funniest patent request you've ever received? All right. Well, well years ago, I had a couple come into my office um, that asked- um, to well, first of all, you know they, they demonstrated their invention to me, and what it was was a new method of tying shoes. It was like a new way to make the knot so it doesn't come undone, and it worked. It worked really well, and it was clever and innovative. But immediately, the notion that came to my mind was, well, how are you going to monetize this? How are you going to make money if you get people to tie the knot your way? And they didn't really have an answer for that, and I think. Uh, you know, I think they just, you know, they just wanted to know that it was um, that it would be recognized that they were the ones that came up with it. So we actually did a patent. Uh, it was kind of a bit of an unusual patent in having to be able to show how this knot actually worked. Um, but but yeah, I think that was it was pretty funny, um, you know, um, request. I've got another one, too. And this was another gentleman. This is an older gentleman. He was way in his 70s. And, uh, and he, he came in and he wanted to demonstrate his invention. And basically what it was is he handed me um, a walnut. I was like, okay, got this walnut now. What's next? And then he handed me a nutcracker. And he said, okay, go ahead, crack the nut. I was like, what's this going to be? So I cracked the nut and the nut basically, if it basically disintegrated into like you know, eight different pieces, lots of fragments. And then just sitting in my hand, in addition to these fragments, was a condom. And, and it was like, 
like suddenly I had a condom in my hand. I was like, what's this about? He's like, it's a novelty. It's a joke. It's like you put it in your uh, candy dish. And when people come to your house and they crack a nut open, like, you know, it's funny. So, uh, and, and he had a unique method for getting it actually into the walnut, into a real walnut. Uh, and so we patented that. And again, it was like, he didn't really know how he was going to monetize it, but, um, but it was just, it was fun to work with him. And, uh, uh, and that was one of the funnier requests. Oh, that's funny. You know, you, you and I, in some ways, are in a similar industry. We work so much on product launches, so we both deal with inventors a lot in our businesses, and sometimes very early stage, sometimes later on, and, and probably have uh, lots and lots of funny stories to share. I'll, I'll kind of share one that I, I find similar that to really address the point that sometimes you, it's hard to know until you start marketing something if there truly is something there. Now, if there's no way to monetize, that's a whole different story. But you know, one of the funniest stories that, that approached us, a product a long time ago was they came to us, they sent us this big, heavy wooden stool with a little U in the front of it. And they said, well, put that in front of your toilet. You put your feet on top of it and it puts you in the squatting position. And this was now 10, 11 years ago or so. And now many of you have probably heard in the audience have heard of the Squatty Potty, which has become a massive success, sold tens of millions of dollars. But in that first phone call with the founders of Squatty Potty, to be honest, I thought, who's going to do this, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. But sometimes you got to take that leap, walk a couple steps forward, whether you're helping get a patent, whether like us, you're helping a market or whether you are the inventor, have a little faith, move it forward, get in the market, talk to people. And sometimes you'll be surprised at how, how big some of these successes can be at the end of the day. I'd love to sh shift gears a little bit and talk. Let's get right into patents. So I get the question all the time is why is a patent important? So if, you know, talking to product marketers, inventors, entrepreneurs to them, why, why is a patent so important to have? Okay. Well, here's the thing. It may be, and it may not be. And then I'm, I'm going to use your squatty potty um, story as an example too. Um, in that, you know, there are people that, that will sometimes say, Patents are so important. You need a patent. If you're going to launch a product, you'd be crazy not to get a patent first. And then there are other people that say, nah, don't bother with patents. You change one thing and you get around it. It's not worth it. Don't bother with a patent. And then the question is, I mean, I'm, what I'm hearing in your question is a bit of like, well, which of them is, is right? Like, uh, you know, are yeah. patents really valuable or are, they, or are they not really worth your time and money? Uh, and the answer is, it depends. Some patents are very valuable. Um, and are broad and cover a whole concept. Other patents are very specific and they're not very valuable. So both of those people are right, uh, but at different times and for different reasons. But in general, the thing that ties it together is this, is you can get a patent that's broad and covers a whole big new concept as long as that hasn't been done before. Um, but most of the time there have been things that were done along those lines. Maybe they never made it out to the market, um, but because they were done before, it limits the patent that you can get. You can now not get a patent on the overall concept. You can get a patent on the more specific details of what you did. And, and this is what escapes 99% of inventors. And even the ones they have a patent, they don't really understand what their patent covers. So the question of, of whether patents are important is more a question of, of, well, can you protect the thing that actually matters to the marketplace? So let's talk about Squatty Potty. So you say like, uh, let's say 12 years ago, like they had this notion of this product. Uh, and, and I guess if you were gonna ask, like, should they have protected it? Um, and what it really comes down to, the hidden factor 
is that there are already so many different examples of things like squatty potty going back a hundred years. I've seen patent searches with this of patent search results. And there is every imaginable type of uh, like potty stool, ones that are adjustable, ones that are fixed, ones that fold, you know, like every imaginable example. So, uh, you know, by the time that Squatty Potty was was talking with you and, and at the time at which they, they founded this company, they recognized that there was a big marketing need for a product like this, but they couldn't patent the concept of it. So they probably could get design patents and patent on a very specific look of it. So if someone really just copied it, like the way it was molded in China, then they could stop that. But they can't stop people from following that concept of a stool that raises your, your feet, right? And, and that's the point. And that's the deciding factor. Is a patent valuable or not? Is, well, what type of patent can you get? Can you get one to cover this new cool concept you have? Or is it going to be a very specific one? And the way you find that out, by the way, and I'll just wrap this up with a bow. The way you find that out is by doing research, doing research to see what other people invented that's similar, to find the closest, what they call prior art. Prior art are the things that came before you that are like your invention. Find the closest prior art because that's going to determine what you actually can patent. And then that will determine whether it's valuable or not. That's great. That's a great way to put that. And I would encourage those that are listening to reach out to Rich or someone like Rich, but you know, as an expert in this field and has done this research in the past. There's no one like Rich. That's true. What <laughs> uh, Rich or an imposter of Rich. Either no, way. But, no, but, but seriously, what you want to do is get competent help is the point. Yeah. You want to yeah. get someone who could really help you take a good look at this and figure out what's what. Yeah. And I think you know, so often we hear like, oh, I can't afford it. You know, the patent process could be a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, and it can be right when when Apple might be issuing a, a patent or whatever, something very complex. But it can start less expensive, and especially that early process, the patent search. Right, Rich, can you talk to us? Like, how do you work with people in the very early stage if they they just don't even know if they need one or not, and they call you up? What do you do? Yeah, I mean, in general, ninety um, percent of the time, it is a matter of what we find in the search. So, I mean, we do, we call it a patent evaluation where we have an initial conversation, um, then do research to see what the closest things are to it, and then follow up with, well, what are the opportunities here? Is there something we can patent? If so what would, we, what would the patent focus on? So we call that a patent evaluation. Um, I, uh, you know, I would, I would say that 90% of the time, 95% of the time, it's not a matter of like, me looking at it and say, well, there's no way you can get a patent on this. It's more a matter of like, yeah, it's potentially patentable, but it just depends on what exists that's like it. And it's, it's really hard to tell without research. So, you know, I don't even like, I don't do consultations with clients that haven't committed to do the research because, because like I said, 95% of the time, it's really a matter of for the client, are they just ready to explore that? Are they ready to dig in and find out if there, there is some other patent out there that is in the way, um, you know, and then like kind of just the way I work it, because really 95% of the time it's going to be a matter of the research is that's, you know, if it happens to be that I talk with them the first time and, and I'm like, there's no way we could patent this. It doesn't even matter what we find in the research. Then I just refund them for the whole thing. But I, you know, just the way I run my business is I look to have people that are committed to the process. And then if we need to stop it, we'll stop it. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And, and sometimes, you know, an initial glance, you can't tell. You got to go down that path a little bit to figure it out. What else, you know, what else is yeah. out there, et cetera. Yeah, it's always, almost always going to be a matter of what else is out there. It's rare that someone will say, you know, like, look, well, my idea is a bottle that, you know, you just, you know, is infinite and you can keep drinking from it forever. I'm like, well, there's no way to patent it because you can't explain how something like that would work. Hmm. Uh, you know, so that's the rare case. And most of the time it's like, you know, my idea is for this type of bottle opener combined with a TV remote control. And well, I guess we got to find out what other people have done r- related to that, yeah. which by the way, that was my idea. I had an idea like that years ago. <laughs> um, I, I didn't patent it, but I, I did find out that other people had that idea before me. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, if you've got inventor that approaches you, when, when is the right time for them to talk to you to start the patent process? When is it too early, too late? Um, well, the th- um, first of all, too late comes when you've already made the invention public. You immediately lose the rights in, in most of the world. And in the U.S., if, the, if it's been public for more than a year, then you've lost the right to apply for a patent. And that's not even a matter of someone, if someone else beats you to the patent office. That's just your own action of making it public uh, causes the law to, you know, eliminate your possibility of getting a patent. So that's when it's too late. And that happens way too often. Can I ask uh, you, just to clarify one thing, what do, you, what do you mean by made public? Does that mean brought to market to sell, share with your neighbor? What does that mean? Um, yeah, I mean, in general, um, the the kind of most basic things that would make it public is you have a website that ex- that talks about your invention or there's a mag there's an article a magazine article or an online article uh, or your um you you put it for sale you put it up on a website to sell it hmm. those type of actions um make it public and like i said in in most of the world then it's game over in the us we still have a one-year grace period under the right circumstances so that's when it's too late um, now, you know, in general, I think the only thing that makes it too early to even consider whether you should be patenting something is if you've got a concept that isn't yet really patentable, like you're kind of saying, you know, I want to have a better soap dispenser, um, for dishwashing soap. Like the problem is that it's always gumming up. And so I want to have something that you know dispenses, but it, there's no opportunity for it to gum up or what have you. That's not really an invention yet. That's too early. That's you've identified a marketing goal. You've identified a niche. Um, when you come up with a clever solution and you're like, you know what's going to work is if you have this type of dispenser where it's kind of vacuum sealed at the bottom and uh, you know it's got a lever at the top where you can um, then. Um, kind of um, urge a certain amount of material into a cup, like you have a solution in mind, then would be the time to explore whether it's patentable. Because if the concept that you have is unique, then you can patent more of that concept. And sometimes what happens is that as people develop the product, they might file additional patents. Um, And that's why you see products often that have multiple patent numbers on them. They filed an initial application to go for the overall concept. And then as they developed it, brought it to market, or even brought their second version to market, uh, they had some improvements that were themselves worthy of patenting. And so they pursued those as well. Love it. 
So I have to say, not all law and not all lawyers are boring as rich as a great example of there's a not, not, not all boring as rich, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. No, what I'm saying is, you know, as you can tell with Rich's personality, and as I find with patent attorneys, it's a whole different side of the law, right? So I'm a former public accountant, right? So the boring CPA, you think I change into being a marketer. I feel like I'm, better, I'm a better fit there. But the, the fun side of, of law, I think, is patent law. It's because you, you, know, you, you it's the type of work you do can be so creative, right? So it's just, yeah. it tends to bring more uh, really interesting people, I think. I, I love having conversations with patent attorneys. So I want to ask you, what's your favorite story to, to share about from your past about uh, a patent that has helped one of your clients? Oh, well, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I had a... a I mean, there's been so many different um, clients and stories. It's all a blur. But but you know, one thing that comes to mind is uh, I had a client um, a couple of decades ago that came to me with the idea of how he would attach um, how he would attach advertisements onto the side of porta potties. Uh, and so he just, you know, he, he had more than just the idea of an advertisement on a porta potty, which is not patentable. He had some cool bracketing systems that kind of work with existing, um, like the way that existing porta potties were configured. Like it was, it was a cool solution for being able to attach these like kind of advertising cards that you kind of, you kind of bend a little bit and pop them into the frame. Sure. Um, so, um, we did a bunch of patents for that. And, uh, you know, he, um, he had this vision of porta potties with advertisements on them at, at sporting events and NASCAR and all of that. And apparently he was right. And a much, a much larger corporation came along and bought him out. And the patents made a, made a big difference in that, like it, it increased the multiple, um, that he was paid for it. And, and as, as best as I, I knew it was, it, it resulted in millions um, of additional valuation for him. And so essentially it was, um, you know, it was the fact that the patents created uh, a, a higher multiple of, well, uh, j- just to get into the way it worked with acquisitions is typically you have a business, it's got a certain amount of profit. And then when someone goes to buy the business, they're going to pay you a multiple on that profit. If you're making uh, $250,000 a year, and maybe you get a six times multiple, which would mean you get a million and a half for the business. So if you could stretch that multiple, which often is the case through IP, then you get that much more. And I've almost never seen a case where someone sold their business and they didn't get a huge return on investment on the money they spent on IP. It's often debatable during the operation of the company. It's like, while I'm running the business and I'm selling a certain amount of product, I have a certain amount of expenses and a certain amount of profit. Was it worth it to get the patent? Because did it really save me from losing revenue to this many other competitors and blah, blah, blah. That's usually how people look at it. But it's often more that if they get all the way to exit, there's almost no way to not get an ROI on patents. Even bad patents, you'll get an ROI on. Yeah. And I, you know, I've seen this many times in the product space, especially where, you know, the multiple is definitely a benefit, right? You'll sell your company for more because of the IP attached to it, but you also may never even get the offer for an acquisition. If you're, you know, a single product or only have a few products in a company, you've got bigger competitors. If you're not protected from an IP standpoint, it might be easier to go around you, make something similar and exactly. start to market as opposed to when they can't, when they're restricted from doing that, obviously through, through IP. Yeah, absolutely. If there's no IP, then like alongside the possibility of them buying you a company for a certain amount of money, uh, 
the question they're asking themselves is, well, what would it take us to start and build a company to the same level as, as yours is? Yeah. So then we don't need to buy your company. So if they're going to pay you a million and a half, but like there's no IP and there's nothing preventing them from entering the market. And they realize, you know what, for a half a million dollars, we could launch a product, run some Facebook ads, get to the same level of customers and sales that you have. Then they're not going to pay 1.5 million for the, your company. Maybe they'll offer yeah. you 400,000 yeah, or not point. be interested at all. Good point. So, you know, I think this interview is, is a great resource for a lot of our listeners to help them understand what to do in terms of patents, you know, because of your expertise in patent law, but at the same time, you're also a business owner, right? So you, you share that with a lot of our, our listeners as well. So I want to ask you, are there any resources that you recommend, you know, whether or not it has to do with patents or running a business or motivation or whatever, what has been helpful to you in, in your business life? Uh, yeah, well, I, I've got a great one for that. Um, a recommendation on a book called The Road Less Stupid. The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. Um, and, and Keith is actually was in a group that a mastermind group that, I, that I've been in. Um, but it's a fantastic book. And the premise of the book is that um, if you take the, um, the some of the most successful people in the world and you ask them, like, what are two things that if you had, you had done differently, you would have been worth 10, 100 times what you're worth today or been that much more hmm. successful? And they would immediately have an answer for you. Um, and so we've all made mistakes we've, in business. We've all made big mistakes. And, uh, and so the point of the road less stupid is to make less of those big mistakes. And it's a book, I think it's about 30, 35 chapters. And he goes into every aspect of, of running a business and marketing a business and, and running your team and uh, et cetera. And um, it's, a, it's a fantastic read. I know a lot of high-level business people that swear by this book, <laughs> The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. Love it. I'll check that out. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, Rich, is there anything I, I haven't asked you that you think would be helpful for our audience? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think really um, the, the thing is, um, you know, anything that you heard on this podcast, anything about IP, I think helps because to me, for most entrepreneurs, IP may be the thing that you know the least about that could have the biggest benefit or biggest impact on your business if you just knew more. So my suggestion is just to learn more about IP. Yeah. Love it. And one way to do that is by visiting Rich's website, goldsteinpatentlaw.com. And we'll put the spelling of that, the, the URL in the show notes. If you're listening while you drive or you don't have the chance right now to write that down, please go to the show notes for this podcast. Again, goldsteinpatentlaw.com. You'll find a lot more information about patents. It's a great website, lots of information on there and contact information to reach out directly to Rich and his team. If you have specific questions about your business, well, Rich, thank you so much for the show. I will say for the listeners, please go to goldsteinpatentlaw.com to learn more, but be sure to check out harvestgrowthpodcast.com to see this and other episodes we've recorded. And if you like this episode, you want to learn how you can profitably grow your consumer products business, please subscribe to our show and leave us a review at iTunes or Google Play. 